This is Bridget Masenga on SAFM. I mean, you know, we're still kind of getting used to hearing those two things go back to back. (laughs) So when we say that brilliant ideas often come from solving the most primal or basic of needs, we're actually talking about ideas such as Bantu Scope. Uh, When filmmaker, curator and entrepreneur Tuka Shongwane realized that spaces that showcased cinematic film often censored or edited the black experience and the black story, he then decided to be proactive and deliberate and do something about it. And Bantuscope was born, which is an independent pan-African pop-up cinema, and uh, it really films and screens pan-African films every single month. So before we even get to knowing what is pan-African film and what that all encompasses, let me welcome you onto Off the Pitch. How are you doing, Tuka? Hey, I'm doing well, ma'am. How are you doing? I am great. Thank you very much. I'm great. Um, how's how's your week? I mean, how's your Friday? How's the rain treating you? I'm presuming oh, you're in Joburg. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am, I am in Joburg. I'm super stressed. You know, it's like last-minute preparations for tomorrow's cleaning. Yes. So, yeah, it's just that bit of anxiety driving around in the rain. A skis. But, you know, I find a good pinch of nerves makes for a perfect event. So you saw the gap in the market and uh, you decided that you want to start Bantu Scope. Were you just tired of going to the standard cinemas and not seeing yourself being represented and not seeing your stories being told? Absolutely, man. It was that and it was like each time I tried to look for good films because I stay looking for like good films, documentaries, etc. I'm always like saturated western uh, content and if it is african content it is more condescending and it's not really our voice who's carrying the narrative mm. you know we are just subjects in the narrative and not the actual vehicles of it so that was like annoying for the longest time you know and until i started looking at like archives and seeing that there's a lot of like african films that have been like in production since the 60s Mm. You know, that are solely Pan-African. And I was like, why haven't we been, like, made aware of stuff like this, you know? And I started looking even at contemporary films around the continent and the diaspora as well, you know? Mm. And I saw a lot of beautiful content that doesn't see the light of day. Yeah. Or if it does, it's just that one isolated film that will make headlines and then that's it for the rest of the year, you know? Yeah. And we constantly become saturated now with this, well, diluted idea of what the black experience is, you know, mm. more perpetuated stereotypes. So that's when I decided, oh, let me maybe see if I can give these films a platform, you know? Yeah. And yes, I think yeah. you bring up an interesting point, Duka, because, you know, a, a lot of people are not aware, unless you, you work in the spaces or you have a curious mind, that, that mm-hmm. Africa is actually, as a continent, we are very rich in film. We've got a very robust film heritage. Um, but, Absolutely. you know, we, we've been riddled down and boiled down to just like the badly produced Nollywood films and the <laughs> bubblegum <laughs> stories that come from the rest of, of us. Because it's True. like, those are the only genres the West can fathom that we Africans create. Mm, mm, mm. Meanwhile, oh, so we're rich in it. Sure, yes, man. I mean, if you look at like the apartheid era, what they were doing, there was like a lot of black independent filmmakers making like these super incredible films. 
And the system was like, mm-mm, these films can't see the lights of day. We can't have a black man running around with a gun, being a superhero, and kicking people, you know? Yeah. So that's how they started, like, stifling our narratives. Not that they're not there, but they're there. Just, mm. like, continue, continuously being stifled, you know? So we just need, like, more platforms, like the one that I have right now to, like, showcase some of these films. And there are, like, a lot of film festivals happening out there that are also doing incredible work, man. So yeah. I'm just carrying on their tradition. It's nothing new. It's just me expanding the window even further. You know? Yeah. Expanding on what has already been done and what is already being done, I guess. Duka uh, Shongwan yes, yes, is hanging out with me on Off the Pitch. We're going to take a quick one and then we come back and we continue our conversation around Bantu Scope. He's premiering a beautiful film tomorrow that I think you need to know about. It's of historical and cultural benefit for you and I. It is SAFM Off the Pitch. Tweet at SAFM Radio and at Bridget Masinga. It is off the pitch on SAFM leading the conversation with myself, Bridget Masinga, joined uh, over the phone right now. I'm so used to people being in studio, but COVID has changed the way we do things. It's almost second nature to say in studio. Now we just have to get used to with over the phone. We've got uh, Duke Shlongwane joining me, who is a film curator and entrepreneur. And we were talking all things Bantu Scope, which is an independent pan-African pop-up cinema that is hosted every month at Gallery Fanon, and he's got a lovely, lovely screening that is happening over this weekend. And I think this is a pertinent story that needs to be told time and time again, because this particular title is such an institution in the world of media, in the world of pop culture, its documentation of South African history, as well as in particular, the history of black South Africans. So you are screening, have you seen drum recently? Tell me more about yes, that. Ah, like, it's, it's one of those timeless South African films that I don't think a lot of people have seen, man. It, it is based around the golden years of Grand Magazine, mm. and it uses that as a backdrop to talk about the political landscape of the 1950s, and as well as the contemporary uh, black person of that time, you know? who was like an artist, an intellect, the normal working class, you know, mm-hmm. living in Sophia Town, which was like a cosmopolitan, integrated community that like had buzz and had, was fun, you know. And Drum Magazine came at a time where itself, when it started, was not a magazine directly for black people. Mm-hmm. It was controlled and the stories weren't really connecting with the people until it was bought by Peter Bailey and... When he brought it over, he introduced like writers like for Henry Mumal, who was the first black writer for Dram. Mm. And that changed the entire landscape of what the black narrative was in the 50s, you know, documenting the jazz of the fire town, the artists, the fashion, you know, the sports that was happening at the time. And it was a fresh approach because people were used to the mundane and morbid narratives about the black community perpetrated by the daily media. So Tehran became that alternative. Mm. And this film is paying homage to those formidable writers of the time, like your Nat Nakasas, your Ken Timbers, your Iskiam Pacheles, and so forth. You know, these are people that went on to be household names in the South African literature and writing space, you know. So it just pays homage to that. And the reason why I picked the film was 
because of the sad departure of Julian Shadowberg, the director of the film and one of the founders of Time Magazine. Mm. So, so after his passing, I felt like it was important for us to show the film because he was one of the last four fathers of Time Magazine in its golden years. You know? Yes. And, yes, ma'am. So I, I know that Mr. Shutterberg worked on this film alongside his wife. Now, is it yes, is it more yes. in the style of a docudrama, um, or is it more of uh, you know um, uh, what you call it, um, fictionalized story? What's the structure? No, it's just a documentary with uh, interviews from past uh, ah. employees of Drum Magazine, and there's like narration that talks about the political landscape as well. You know, so they juxtapose the magazine itself with uh-huh. its content as well as the context of the country at the time. So it's a straightforward documentary, man. Oh, beautiful. I mean, it couldn't have come at a more uh, uh, perfect time. I actually just went to a gallery auction the other day at Aspire, and they had some of mm-hmm. the original drum covers in print actually up for auction, and they fetched a pretty penny, might I tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there was like the original pictures as well as the actual covers, uh, the cover layout yeah. of the pictures. They fetched a no, pretty incredible. piece of money. Oh, it was incredible. I had my no, eye out no. on one, but I lost the bid. Better luck to me <laughs> next time. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Better luck to me next time. So, you, you airing, have you seen Drum Lately this weekend? Yes, ma'am. I'm airing it this week and tomorrow. The first screening is at 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. And the second one is at 6 p.m. as well. And and this is all happening out at the Ant Hill building uh, at Gallery for Non. And why Gallery for Non? Because there's an in- interesting, deliberate tie into Gallery for Non as well, right? Yes, ma'am. Uh, so Gallery for Non is headed by a sister named Megan Tennyson. And I've known her since Cape Town. And when she says she starts in this gallery with a pan-Africanist mindset behind it. I was like, hey, this is incredible. What are you going to call it? And she was like, very fun, you know? Because it's important for us to reclaim our narratives in all aspects, you know what I mean? Mm. It shouldn't just be, like, a responsibility bestowed upon people in the media or education and so forth. Even in the arts itself, you know, we should reclaim our narratives and have safe spaces where black people can exhibit their work uninhibitedly. Mm. without trying to shy away from the true narrative. So Gallery for Non is a space like that, that offers artists that uh, platform, you know, to like express themselves. They also have residencies for artists that can come through and work for them for like three months or so and explore different like, interacts with other artists as well within the space. These are things I like, Tuka. These are things I like. Okay, so this weekend, we are on at Gallery Fanon to come and check out. Have you seen Drum recently? We live in COVID times, which means that everything is restricted and all seats must be booked. So where do people go to secure their seats and how much is everything costing us? Uh, You can get our tickets on Quicket. If you go to the Bunty Scope page on Instagram, the link in the bio is going to send you straight to where the tickets are, and it's 50 rand the ticket, man.
A beautiful price. There you go. 50 Rand a ticket. Go on over to Instagram at Bantuscope is where you'll find them. That is the handle. And uh, you can come and check out Have You Seen Drum recently coming up this weekend at uh, Gallery Fanon, which is out at the Ant Hill Building in Maboneng, a buzzing district that if you haven't been to see it, I don't know which rock you are living under, but you definitely must go and check it out. Uh, Duke, thank you so much for sharing your time with me this evening. Thanks a lot, man. Awesome stuff. Looking at the time, we are about to get straight into the news. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, just a few seconds before 8 o'clock. Greg Hose is coming up.